welcome to episode 48 of Universal Adapter. This is a show where two Brits, one who stayed home, that's me, and one who got out, that's me, discuss the relative merits of our current home countries. Each week we'll pick a new topic and discuss who has it better. And, uh, how are you doing, Sarah? I'm doing very well. I had a good, exceptionally fun day at work, Staff Appreciation Day, so I feel very Ooh. appreciated. Is that a a thing that is nationwide, worldwide, or just something that your company decides to do? Oh, I think it's literally a company-based thing. They got voted, like, best employer in BC or something, like, I think about two years ago, so they're obviously trying to maintain that reputation. Wow, you you lucked out. Yeah, I did. They gave me a free Danish pastry. I'm a happy lady. (laughs) (laughs) So other than talking about not employee of the day, day day Uh, for employees. Staff appreciation day. There we are. This episode, we are going to be talking about actors. So people who act in things. I don't know why I decided that that needed a explanation i think everybody knows also you use the word in the definition an actor is someone who acts (laughs) fine (laughs) but that is what we are talking about for our topic today topic du jour oui oui Mm -hmm. oh you know who maybe you've already picked him but you know who is a canadian actor no i didn't pick this person (laughs) i wish i had done (laughs) oh man I don't know how much of this has made it into the podcast, but since we started recording, I both started watching Gilmore Girls, became a fan of Gilmore Girls, and finished watching the Gilmore Girls, and at least one of the actors in there is... I'm assuming that he's French-Canadian. Yeah, he is, I think. I I think in the show he's, like, French-French, but the actor is actually French-Canadian. But yeah, shout out to uh, Yannick Truesdale. Yes, Michel. Who plays Michel. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> um, so yeah, we have picked a series of actors. Uh, me, British. Sarah, Canadian. And uh, we're going to imagine them in some sort of fight club and see who's <laughs> going to come out on top. Excellent. And in order to figure out who is the best, we are going to cover a series of discrete topics. And our first one um, is deciding which actor we would least like or least trust to buy a used sofa from. Yes, which is an odd... I I was not expecting this question to make it on the list. (laughs) Any reason why you picked this question? I mean, I didn't question it before because I just wanted to do it and thought it'd be funny, but... Any reasons? I just... I wonder how good we were at separating actors from their characters. Because there are some people who I can think of who, when you see them on screen, they... Obviously, yeah, people get typecast. And often people will end up playing, you know, sort of seedy roles or roles that are just, like, kind of slightly off-kilter. And I was just imagining in a very prosaic way, like having to turn up to their house. Either they've done something weird to it or on the sofa. Ah, 
or having to interact with them face to face is going to be strange and awkward. <laughs> that was my sort of, that's how I went into it. I've gone a slightly different way with who I've chosen. Okay, because I just, it did make you wonder if maybe secretly this entire time, in Matt's head, there's only two types of people in this world. Someone you would buy a used sofa from and someone you wouldn't. I mean, I think it's a pretty good litmus test. Yeah, I'm not going to deny it. I quite like it as a measure of someone's accountability and their their standing in society as in whether you think they, yeah, would keep keep their sofa in a resaleable condition. Exactly. So, Sarah, who who have you chosen? Uh, bearing in mind that this is who you wouldn't want to to buy a sofa from. Yes. So I initially thought kind of the same way you did, and then mm-hmm. I realised I think I was just putting a character into that person because my initial thought was Seth Rogen, um, uh-huh. because he always plays this sort of just like kind of man-child stoner characters essentially yeah. and then I was like actually I think that's probably quite unfair to Seth Rogen and actually he does do some quite funny things so <laughs> maybe I should discount that and instead but you don't want it to be the sort of sofa that you wouldn't want to shine a black light on yeah uh, yeah exactly <laughs> none of that so I changed I had a little google as to who was a Canadian actor and fair at the conclusion I've come to Mm-hmm. On I wouldn't buy a sofa from is Jim Carrey. Okay, because his movements are just too erratic, and I think he would have damaged the sofa in some way. Like he would have somehow the springs in a sofa. I don't know. He would have done something. He in all his films, he like does all these like crazy, very lungy, punchy movements. I feel like that's a lot more of his own personality coming out in it. I think he's a nice guy and it'd be clean enough. I just think he would have broken it. <laughs> that's fair enough because I mean you've got to practice all of your wacky hijinks somewhere. Yeah. And you don't want to hurt yourself before you get on set. So, yeah, of course, you're going to do some some tumbles. Yeah. And I feel like in every film, he's jumped on a sofa at some point. <laughs> and I'm like, exactly, he had to learn that somewhere, didn't he? I, I think that that is a, an entirely fair... And also, if you're worried about him being erratic, maybe when you show up to... I feel, I feel like he would have a, a not a house, but like a, a complex... Or yeah, like a mansion or something. <laughs> but when you but when you showed up to his abode, wacky hijinks are good, are going to ensue. Yeah, it's not just going to be a case of here's my twenty dollars Canadian. Can I have your sofa, please? <laughs> it's going to be on fire or full of snakes or something. Yeah, full of penguins. I just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just I just think it would just be a. Yeah, just a bit much when you're trying to buy a new sofa. Very well. Um, so my choice for who I wouldn't wish to buy a new sofa from is Andy Circus, and I have reasons. The reason I think the reason why he first came to mind is because he's most famous for being Gollum in the Lord of the Rings. And oh yeah. Obviously, like Gollum is not a particularly nice character he's not a particularly clean character he spends most of his time wandering around in a dirty loincloth which manages to defy gravity who knows how oh uh, don't get me started on loincloths in films <laughs> but he's walking around in his bare feet he's getting mucky he loves eating fish raw and wriggling Ugh. he's by design a not particularly pleasant character but as you say i have the power to separate character from actor most of the time 
Uh, I think the other reason why Andy Serkis' sofa may be suspect is because he is at the cutting edge of computer-generated image design and essentially making things look like what they are not. Oh. And so I would be worried. I'd be worried that I'd go to Andy Serkis' house and he'd be like, here's my sofa, look at my lovely sofa. And I'd be like, that is a great sofa, Andy. Here's my money. And he would... Like he'd be chuckling to himself, and I'd and I'd ask Andy, "Why are you chuckling?" And he'd say, "Oh, I was just remembering a funny thing that Viggo Mortensen said on the set of Lord of the Rings." And I'll say, "But Andy, you didn't share any scenes with Viggo Mortensen on the set of Lord of the Rings." And he'll say, "Curses," and run away because I've solved his riddle. Again, this is me conflating Gollum and Andy Serkis, which I said I wasn't going to do. So I think it's very difficult to separate <laughs> actors from characters sometimes, <laughs> especially when they are so known for a particular thing. And also, I wonder if it would bleed into their personality, because I remember watching an interview, maybe I've spoken about this before, I can't remember, but an interview with Leonard Nimoy, who said he uh-huh. would spend so much time being Spock that he noticed that it he was then Spock even when he wasn't on set, but basically his wife absolutely hated it because yeah he just he kept being obviously not to the same extreme but he kept being Spock even when he wasn't being filmed hmm. quickly back to to me <laughs> in Andy Serkis' living room he's chuckling uh, as I as I pay him for his sofa and I take it out and then it's only after I leave his house that I realize that it's actually it's not a sofa like maybe it's just like a two by four with a bunch of ping pong balls stuck over it and he's duped me with his mastery of oh. the of, of computer generated arts oh god that would be very disappointing but kind of <laughs> impressive at the same time and like i say this is me imagining that andy circus's living room is essentially a holodeck where it projects a false image so who do we think is it andy circus or is it jim carrey that we would be least least likely to part with our cash. See, I think if it was just going to turn out to be, yeah, some some plywood with some ping pong balls on, I'd be pretty annoyed. At least the Jim Carrey sofa is still a sofa. It's just a bit beaten up. I feel like my idea is slightly more fantastical, whereas yours is a little <laughs> bit more down to earth and like something which which would actually happen. Like I don't think that Andy Serkis is like a little goblin wizard. <laughs> He's like, nah, unless you know my name. <laughs> well, that's true. Mine was basic. Maybe mine was in a little bit more basis of. I was about to say fact. It's not fact. I don't know him at all. But um, a more logical extrapolation of what we know. <laughs> I think that's fair enough. So um, that is a point then to Canada. Ding, 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 and ding, ding. we will press uh, gainfully on to our second topic, which is who would lead best in a emergency situation? Who would you turn to? Who would you trust? And uh, Sarah, who have you picked? Okay, so I'll admit mine is a bit of a weird one. <laughs> in t- so I've taken it more to be a long-term emergency situation. Um, like a, like the apocalypse? Yeah, like an apocalypse or okay. like a big flood or right. alien invasion. Something something that isn't going to be solved immediately. Okay. 
needs some strategy, needs a team behind it. And I have picked a woman called Mary Pickford. Okay. Who was known as the girl with the curls. So that might give you a little indication of what kind of era that we're looking uh-huh. at here. Uh, she was born in 1892. Uh, wow. Yeah, I know, like 100 years before us. Mental. I'm sure a lot of people were born 100 years before us, but here's one we're talking <laughs> about. Uh, and she was one of Canada's earliest film stars. So she was very classically like ingenue. Like she was like the Audrey Hepburn of Canada, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um but she was also a producer and a very keen businesswoman. So even though she was Canadian, she obviously spent a lot of time in the States, uh, in Hollywood. And she became mm-hmm. very heavily involved in the American war efforts. And she sold Liberty Bonds. So mm-hmm. I was thinking she'd be really good for funding, which we all know money makes the world <laughs> go round. And that's why I want her in the head of this. Uh, but do, do you know what a Liberty Bond is? I do not. It's very reliant on people winning the war because essentially it's a way to get <laughs> citizens to purchase bonds that they would then get repaid once the war was won. Okay. And they just recruited a whole bunch of actors to sell these. So Charlie mm-hmm. Chaplin also sold them. And Mary Pickford, in one speech in Chicago, sold $5 million worth of, of bonds. I see. So she's, so she's going to be sort of the, the face of your, of your movement. Yeah. She, yeah. Your post-war, post-flood. Post-alien invasion movement. <laughs> and yeah, and she even auctioned off one of her famous curls for $15,000. This is all money back then, so it's worth a lot more now. Yeah, no, I was, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, so she, I just think, would be the charismatic leader that we'd all need and turn to and take confidence in in a time of crisis. Fair Mary enough. Mary Pickford, the president. <laughs> <laughs> But I would count it as an emergency situation, but yeah, it's quite a long emergency situation. No, that's fair. I've gone a slightly different route with my choice, because I've chosen the actor Sean Bean. Really? And here's why. I'm fascinated by this. It's because Sean Bean has much experience of death, and he has faced death in myriad ways and he always comes back and so I think that no matter what the scenario is whatever the emergency is Sean Bean is going to know A what will happen if you put a foot wrong and B he's going to have, have thought about well were I to have my chance again how exactly would I escape from this scenario and if you don't think that Sean Bean is is equipped to deal with a diverse range of scenarios, just just bear with me for a moment, because across his long and storied career, Sean Bean has been has been killed by chains, twice, a shotgun. He's been quartered, so he's drawn apart by horses. Uh, he's been decapitated in Game of Thrones. Spoiler alert. Hit by an exploding speedboat. Four big arrows fired at him. He was dropped off a satellite dish by James Bond. Um, in one film, um, he was shot for reading poetry. And <laughs> he was also run off a cliff by a herd of cows. Wow. He has experience. Yeah, he has experience dying. He, yeah. he like, he pops his clogs so early. 
are you trying to make a martyr? Is that what you're trying to do? Because I think you'd make a very he'd make a very good martyr. No, because you'd there'd be because there'd be the herd of herd of zombie cows running towards you, and you'd be like Sean Bean, what do we do? And then he'd be like, oh, O2, see what? And then and then he'd do an O2 advert, but then he'd be like, well. When I was run over by cows, I stood here and did this. Let's do the opposite of that. And then you do the opposite of what he did in the film, which is stay alive. Oh, I see. So he's more like a point of reference of what not to do. Yeah, he's your he's he's your he's your leader. He's the person you turn to when things when things are going wrong. Oh no, someone's shooting arrows at us. What do we do? Well I know what we don't do. Stand in the middle of, of a clearing in the forest and just get like peppered by arrows. Got it, Sean Bean, let's hide behind a tree. Saved. <laughs> Um, oh, Sean Bean, it's Piers Brosnan and he wants to drop me with a satellite dish. What do we do? I know what we don't do, uh, betray him and then fake our own death for decades only to come back and, and try to try to overthrow him and England. And then James Bond pulls you back onto the satellite dish instead of pushing you off. I just think having a poor track record doesn't necessarily indicate they're going to start learning their lesson, does it? Barry has a fantastic track record. <laughs> That's like putting someone in CEO who has successfully run 100 businesses into the ground and thinking, well, now they've learned their lesson. I mean, the first step to success is being shot four times by an Urukai. That well-known proverb. <laughs> yeah, it's. I've got that next to the poster that says, hang in there with a picture of a cat. But instead of a picture of a cat, it's a picture of Sean Bean hanging off a satellite dish. I mean, I like your logic, as in, like, you see a lot of action. <laughs> I think it's a bit generous to say you'd be a good leader. I guess you're right. I mean, I hate to rain on your parade, but I'm just saying, you've got a very well-qualified woman here, and then Sean Bean has just consistently shown he isn't good enough. Yeah, I guess. Okay, so that's two points to Canada (laughs) before we go into the final round. So in order to give me time to regroup and hopefully recoup some losses, uh, Sarah, do you want to take us to the break? Yes, I shall. If you would like to find more of our episodes and generally keep up to date with what we're getting up to in life, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We are Universal Adapter Podcast, or you can find us on Twitter where we are at UniAdapter. And you can also, if you haven't found it this way already, download our podcast on iTunes, sorry, Apple Podcasts, as it's called these (laughs) days, uh, or you can keep us forever and ever. And there you can also rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, If you actually, if you rate and review every individual episode, Episode, rather than just the podcast as a whole that also bumps up our ratings a little bit and it helps people find the podcast and we would very very much appreciate it and we will love you forever and ever and thank you very much indeed and if you have anything that you wish to say to us uh, then do send us an email to universaladapterpodcast at gmail.com alright we're back at it again with our final round which is much less or much more pleasant i think than the other than the other ones yeah it's taken a real change of tune in this last round (laughs) and we're going to be talking about once uh, the apocalypse is over once we've re-established our society who do we get to host a dinner party Mm. with all of the people the, the few people who are left which is shockingly a lot of people from the acting community. (laughs) (laughs) And, well, my choice was this. 
I have gone for Dame uh, Maggie Smith. Yes! Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, and excellent choice. I have a very specific scenario as to how I want this to play out. Okay, talk me through this. Ba- essentially, I think it's fairly obvious, but essentially we are in the, the Great Hall of Hogwarts or a reconstruction thereof. <laughs> and it's like, here's the thing is I don't even necessarily have to be sat at the same table as her. In fact, I mean, she would be the headmistress. So she'd be sat at the the big table and then everybody else would be ranged out in front of her on the house tables. And like she'd do a little speech and then all the food would come and then she'd do another little speech and then we'd all go to bed and it would be great. It would be lovely. Do you just want to have a a feast in the Great Hall of Hogwarts? I mean, yes. I mean, who doesn't? But <laughs> here is one thing that struck me though. In in the Great Hall at Hogwarts, obviously all of the teachers, they get their they get chairs, like proper chairs with backs and things. Mhm. Everyone else is sitting on a bench. Yeah, which are not ideal. I don't and really like benches at all. Yeah, like every meal, yeah, every day, for seven years of your life, sat on a bench. You probably have quite you... good posture by the end of it. Not if you're Ronald Weasley, like hunkered down over your food like an animal. Poor Ron. Yeah, yeah. It is, they're not. I mean, having sat at the one of the great hall tables, yeah, they're not the most comfortable things um, mm-hmm. in the planet, and also. I always feel sorry for the table that's right on the end because they're right up against the fireplace. That must be like the worst seat in the house. Like just trying to have your breakfast with a roaring fire, which is supposed to heat an entire hall behind you. She had never considered that. Although there's probably something magical, like magical central heating. <laughs> but yeah, I I do think it'd be absolutely glorious to have a meal in the great hall. Like magically materializes in front of you. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I'd be too excited about that, and then I would end up eating something, and then it would happen again for the pudding course. Who who do you envisage you're sat with, if if not Dame Maggie Smith herself? Could be whoever, really. I'd be I'd be happy. Would you want some of the more like side characters so you could finally find out what 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 happened in their lives? That or maybe I'm just thinking of it like a children's birthday party where Maggie Smith is the host. I don't really know what dinner parties are if I'm absolutely honest this is still where my brain's at but like it's just all of my friends like sat on the big tables oh I see so we're all there and like pretending to be oh yeah I'd take that too that'd be fun (laughs) so yeah so that's my that is my offering well that sounds very nice and we can all have a sorting ceremony and listen to Maggie just regale us with stories. Yeah, that's the other thing. Is that, yeah, I'm sure that she would have loads of stories. Well, when you first said uh, Maggie Smith, I was imagining her character from Downton Abbey and that we'd all go and have high tea and some harsh truths dealt out to us. Yeah, that's the other thing. Is like, I was thinking, those are the two that occurred to me, but I don't, I don't know Downton Abbey that well. But I could imagine that that also being a very comfortable and pleasant place to spend an afternoon. Oh, I'd love to. Definitely. And where whereabouts is, is your dinner party? Who's hosting and 
Am I invited? <laughs> You're invited, for sure. Um, it might be a little bit more cramped than the Great Hall of Hogwarts or Downton <laughs> Abbey, because we're just going to go into his apartment in New York. Uh, but this is Rick Moranis. Okay. Do you know who that is? Yeah, he's he's the nerd from Ghostbusters and yeah. etc. Yeah, and Honey, I Shrink the Kids, and Little Shop of Horrors is what I tend to think of him as. Uh-huh. Um, so the way I tried to find my person is that I essentially got a list of Canadian actors and then put cookbook after their name <laughs> and searched as many as I could um, until it got to people I didn't know who they were. Um, and he was the only one to come back with anything, which is why I think... I might have some confidence in his ability to host a dinner party. Um, okay. He didn't say anything about his cooking ability, but in a New York Times article, he did say that he has 46 cookbooks. And even if that doesn't work out, he said in the same article that he has 68 takeaway menus. So <laughs> I'm sure he could fix us something. And then I feel like he'd be good for some like after-dinner entertainment, because he wrote a comedy album called My Mother's Brisket and Other Love Songs. So... Mm-hmm. He's obviously Food. a bit of a foodie, um, yeah. and he could then perform them. And then I just thought we could have a good old-fashioned sing-along around the piano to the Little Shop of Horrors soundtrack, Lovely. and some of his comedy bluegrass album, The Agrophobic Cowboy, <laughs> which is now my new favourite album. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's like bluegrass-style music, but it's more reflective of a life of the of an average New Yorker in the early noughties. Fair enough. And, and it, there's quite a good love song he did, which is just called Pes, uh, Press Pound. So he's basically getting someone to call him back, and it's press one if you want me, press two if you don't, press three if you'll forgive me, press four if you won't, press five if you doubt me, press six if you trust... Press pound if you love me, or hang up if you must. Oh. I know. I just, when I said press pound, I didn't have a clue what it was on about, but that's what they call the hash key here. Yes, I was vaguely aware. Okay, so yeah. so Rick Moranis. So when you say um, you Googled Rick Moranis and cookbook, uh, is it just that he owns a lot of cookbooks or that he has his own? No, he just owns a lot. That's fair. I was hoping you'd written one. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I just think... He just seems like a really down-to-earth kind of guy. And and any excuse for a sing-along. So he'd obviously be Seymour, and I would be... Well, seeing as you're going to be there too, you can have a few of the characters. Um, and basically me and you will do the rest of Little Shop of Horrors. Wait, is it just a dinner party with the three of us? Uh, yeah, in my head. <laughs> cool. It sounds, sounds delightful. Yeah, honestly, he seems quite nice. Wonderful. I mean, that does sound eminently pleasant. It does. But... But... I mean, compare that to a full-on feast. It's not Hogwarts, and it's I, not a feast. <laughs> I would agree. As much as I would love to go have a, a dinner party at Rick Moranis, I think I think having dinner in the actual Great Hall of Hogwarts <laughs> would, would definitely be an offer I could not refuse. And quite the lifelong dream. So, yeah, that would have to be definitely definitely the winner, I think, of having a dinner. That, well, that would be the dinner party. Yes. There'd be no point turning up to any others after you went to that one. <laughs> Fantastic. Which then means that I've managed to at least make it vaguely respectable by the end. I've got <laughs> a point. And Sarah, you and Canada have two. Woohoo! 
Thank you very much. You're welcome. (laughs) All right, then that about does it for this fortnight's episode. And uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks for episode 49. We're getting ever closer to that number 50. I know. It's exciting. Mm. Who would have thought? Many moons ago. Anyway, (laughs) we can start getting nostalgic in a month's time. Fantastic. <laughs> All right then. Um, cool. We'll see you soon. Thank you very. Thank you very. I don't know. Oh, I, I, I thought to do as if I was ending a phone call at work. I literally thought to go, thank you very much for your call, <laughs> which isn't inaccurate. But that's not what I meant to say. Instead, I'll just say goodbye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>